politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots who still want to live free to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze Media. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house for another terrific day of truly independent conservative talk, news and views and a path forward. Where do we go from here? What do we do? Well, first, we have to understand that we're living in a time where our opponents cannot stand the scrutiny of transparency and debate. I was dealing all day with this fact check. You see, Facebook and these other platforms no longer allow any view that's critical of corona fascism. And masks are like, I mean, that is the biggest idolatry we have ever seen in our lifetime. So you cannot publish any article, no matter what you say. You know, you could publish an article and say, look, you know, Fauci used to say this. Jerome Adams said this. Um, Here are all the randomized clinical trials cited by CDC and Oxford um, that showed it doesn't work, that showed that there's a concern of cross-contamination with universal civilian mask wearing because people don't wear them properly. And how how does that change so quickly? Nope, they flag it as false. So I look and I wanted to see, well, okay, which point are they are they saying is false? And I see they have a fact-checking article against a random person who posted on Facebook in May, and then what they do is they recycle that article. The fact check against anyone, their their algorithm probably picks up anyone who opposes the mask mandate. So they just recycle it as false based on what they did on this random poster. I mean, that's how pathetic these people are. You cannot spit back the words of the their own people that they cite before it became political. They could literally look you in the eye and say they don't work for smoke particles, but they work for virus particles, even though the smoke particles on average are 10 times larger. I mean, this is the world we are living in. Because the less debate they are exposed to, the more they can get away with it. And really, if you think about it, it is our fault. It's our fault. How is it that in a state like West Virginia, where Trump carried every single county, how is it that a guy like Governor Jim Justice could get away with closing schools, a mask mandate, essentially what you're having in any bad blue state, you're having even in a red state that Trump carried by, what, 35, 40 points? Because we're not fighting back. Now, I know there is censorship online, but where where are the people fighting back against these nameless and faceless bureaucrats? At a county level, at a state level, these pencil shirt, flat earth losers. I mean, they literally don't know anything. A lot of them are just dense. Mandating our lives Mandating the shutdown of our lives? Are we a free people or not? 
Now we're going to bring on our special guest today to talk about some of the latest trends in obfuscation from the media, from the political class, where we're headed with this virus. But I first want to read to you one article if you haven't seen it. So our government told us that, look, we have to spend $3 trillion, otherwise we're going to lose businesses forever. So we incurred an enormous amount of crushing debt. We passed without debate these life-altering, generational-altering, industry-altering programs that are going to forever tilt the playing field of the private enterprise to really large conglomerates and destroy small business. And we were told, no, it was necessary. Now, you'd think at least after having incurred all that debt, we could at least say, look, you know, we're going to be paying this forever, but at least we kept the businesses open. CNBC, Yelp data shows 60% of business closures due to coronavirus pandemic are now permanent. Now, before reading this, I will just take exception to the headline. It's not the coronavirus that shut down the businesses. It's insidious, illegal, unconstitutional government that shut down the businesses. On Wednesday, Yelp releases economic average report revealing business closures across the U.S. are increasing as a result of the coronavirus pandemic's economic toll. As of August 31st, 163,735 businesses have indicated on Yelp that they have closed. That is down from 180,000 that closed. At the beginning of the pandemic, however, it actually shows a 23% increase in the number of closures since mid-July. So remember, we're not done. You know, those that didn't suffer from the first wave that were able to keep themselves afloat for a few more months, that's going to continue. Now, in addition to monitoring closed businesses, Yelp takes into account the businesses whose closures have become permanent. That number has steadily increased throughout the past six months, now reaching 97,966, representing 60% of closed businesses that won't re that won't be reopening. There you go. There you go, folks. Now, what's interesting is they break it down by various industry or profession. Do you know the the ones that were hurt the most? So... They talk about closures per 1,000 businesses in that industry. Breakfast and brunch, obviously, were the most. 56.8 per 100,000. Clothing stores. Do you know what ranked as the lowest? 1.6 per 100,000. So that's basically a 0.1 ratio. Kind of like the infection fatality ratio of of the virus itself. Lawyers. Lawyers. There you go. A system that takes care of their own. How pathetic. Utterly pathetic. Again, restaurants, retail got crushed. Lawyers are doing just fine.
probably have more work now. And and there you go. Do you know which states had one of the highest um or the highest closure rate? Hawaii. Hawaii is the state that has had mask mandates and a full shutdown for months. And it's spreading anyway. But again, the spreading is nothing because they have that Pacific Rim partial immunity where they don't really get that seriously ill from it. So they did this all for nothing. Folks, again, we've talked about this before in terms of an, a formula of how many lives lost this translates into from depression, um, suicides, drug overdose, overdoses. You see this in any economic downturn. This is not just about money. This is lives. Okay, this is not just, hey, like the stock market went down a little bit. No. When you're talking about permanently destroying small businesses that people had their entire lifetime, this is permanent. And this is not just about money, it's lives. So just wanted to get that out today if we don't get any other information. There's a lot out there, but I do want to get to our guest today. Now, Dr. Bostom is no stranger to this program. We've been honored to have him on before. Uh, Andrew Bostom, MD, he is an associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. He's a trained clinician, epidemiologist, and clinical trialist. You must follow him at Andrew Bostom. That's Andrew B-O-S-T-O-M on Twitter. Um, like I've said, you know, a lot of people have a lot of vanity, but then you have some people where you really learn a tremendous amount from their Twitter feed, and his stuff has been cited by the president recently. We're going to go through some of it today. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Dr. Bostom, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thanks for having me again, Dane. All righty. So let's start off with one news item that I think really speaks to the arc and trajectory of this virus, the state of play. You've done some unique research on universities. And we see all these headlines with the panic porn stating how there are this number of hundreds of cases, thousands of cases. And what you've noted is that you go one by one, you could add, add them up to tens of thousands of cases, and yet you don't find a single hospitalization. You tallied this on your Twitter. The president has cited that. Um, number one, what is the current up-to-date tally that you have? Number two, am I not correct in asserting that if this is true, isn't it better that we actually have these cases because then it demonstrates that it's no longer a problem to this population and you're achieving herd immunity on the cheap. Yeah. So let me, so let me, um, let me, let me address, uh, let me address uh, everything you've raised uh, quickly. Um, so there, there are, there are very uh, significant limitations to what I did. I, I, I really, um, I, I basically went to these uh, COVID-19 um portals that have been uh, created, these, these tracking uh, 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 websites that have been created at, at major universities. And what I was looking for, just to get a quick I- impression for myself, 
was was at least um, these uh, COVID-19 uh, databases at universities where I could separate out the students from the faculty and just focus on what was going on in, in the various student populations. So um, about a week and a half ago, I went through uh, 29 major universities. Uh, I was also looking, uh, honestly, Dan, for places that reported a fairly significant number of, of cases. Uh, if there was just 100 or so cases, I really kind of skipped over places like that. I was looking for large universities, mostly public universities with, uh, and state universities with, with a significant number of cases. And so I, I found 29 where I could disentangle the students from the faculty and find out the numbers of positives. And, and remember, these, these data are now about nine or 10 days old. So at the time, out of these 29 universities that I queried, uh, there were almost 26,000 positives. And then what I would do is um, there, really, there really are not, uh, to my understanding, um, any of these web uh, COVID-19 tracking sites that have been set up at the at the universities, there's nothing that sets up a category for hospitalizations as as you know as you would find in other in other databases that are tracking COVID uh, COVID for for states, for example. Um, so then, what you have to do is go scrupulously through the the news reports from the universities. They they usually have a news website um, and check those. And then local news reports, and then of course national news reports. And there is a caveat to the 26,000 that I found, and I because I've been trying to follow not so much going back to the websites, but follow if, if if indeed any kids have been hospitalized. So one of the schools that wasn't in my database was San Diego State University. And about a couple of days after I posted this, one kid was was hospitalized from San Diego State University. I've since followed up. There's about uh, six. 150 maybe positive tests now at San Diego State, and there's been one kid hospitalized. There was a, there was a, a strange uh, situation in Kansas where the, the governor reported about um, a kid being hospitalized uh, and didn't identify the university. I had actually included that in my original table, but I, of course, I couldn't attribute a university to it at, at the time. I think it's subsequently become known that that kid might have gone to Kansas State um, university. But, but again, so so you're asking, so at the time I did this, again, nine, 10 days ago, 26,000 positive cases, w which I could ascertain and, and find no related hospitalizations. My understanding now is that there's, you know, we're probably approaching 50,000. And I still, you know, I'm not, I'm not going back and tallying additional positives. Um, but I've seen scattered reports about uh, a few days ago, at least of 36,000, and you know and that's not covering the whole country. So I, I would assume, just to, you know, really, really a, a ballpark conservative estimate would be there's probably 50,000 positive tests uh, across the country now, and I still am not aware, other than those two cases that I mentioned, of of any hospitalizations. I'm trying to find out about the severity of these two cases. None of the reports, the, not, neither of those two reports um, indicated uh, significant severity. In fact, the one out of Kansas said that the kid was doing well, and that was, you know, about a week, a week ago. So, again, I, you know, and we're and we're certainly not hearing about any deaths other than this oddball thing, which maybe we'll get into later about a small college uh, football player. And that's very murky. Yeah, no, I definitely want to get into that. But just in general, what's your take on how 
we've seen this dichotomy in the reporting between the daycares and the camps and then the schools. So, you know, here where I live, we got tons of panic porn. Oh, we found a case in this grade, a case from this teacher. And oh my gosh, we got to shut down and the government and the media and other entities are going crazy. And you're having this throughout the country. But I know one of your colleagues at Brown University put together a sort of a database um, yes, Emily um, Oster. Yeah, yeah Emily, Emily Oster, Oster, Professor Emily yeah. Oster, economics professor uh, of of daycares that were often, you know, they were open the entire time. They were never shut or uh, camps that were open during the summer. And it was really remarkably few cases. Again, uh, almost none were were clinical, uh, rose to the level of clinical illness. They didn't seem to be a problem. Why suddenly now with the schools does it seem like we're discovering such a big problem? Right. So, so I guess one of the, one of the, you know, in, 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 in mild defense of that concern is that you're dealing with a population that, that is, that is older amongst the students and, uh, may no longer be afforded the sort of, um, uh, very significant protection that young children have, both in terms of resistance to the disease and potential transmission. That's a theoretical, um, argument that, that younger children in particular, because, well, you, you know better than me now, Dan, because you have young kids. They're into everything. They probably get, on average, uh, according to the literature, a couple of coronavirus uh, common colds a year. Uh, that, that, that clearly is giving them some sort of cross immunity, uh, whether it's T cell mediated or however it's mediated uh, to, to this, you know, to this more significant, uh, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, it, the, the, does some of that wane? Is it less prevalent in, in, in older kids who may be, may be behaving more and more like adults? So that was a theoretical, um, concern, but, but that's why I wanted to at least, you know, get, have a, have a gestalt of what was going on and, and look at these, uh, look at these, uh, databases that the universities were setting up. And to the best of my ability, see if I could track anything down. And, and that's why I felt this was, this was significant. I, I, I had no idea. I mean, other than I did, I did so people could understand. I have been over the months, very sporadically, from when he was still at Stanford, been, you know, uh, comp- uh, uh, corresponding with, with, um, with Dr. Scott Atlas. Um, you know, he's, he's a very informed guy and, and um, he's very open. And, and that's what I liked about him. Um, and so, you know, I would say it's a very sporadic correspondence, but, but he, he, he was, he was very, very uh, appreciative when I put this uh, table together. I, I believe he, <laughs> I had no idea they were, they were going to literally make it into a table that wound up appearing behind President Trump. Uh, during his presser last Thursday, I had absolutely no idea. I only found, I actually only saw it um, yesterday when when I was able to see the full widescreen uh, video, as opposed to what you see if you because I actually watched part of the presser live last Thursday, and you just saw the podium. I couldn't even see what was behind President wow. Trump. <laughs> but 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 at any rate, I, I I just felt it was important to communicate. You know, not not to be a denier, um, because, again, I, I keep searching. And, and, and as I've mentioned to you forthrightly, uh, there have been a couple of kids who have been hospitalized. But but just when but, you but also also the, what level testing. Yeah. When what level are they hospitalized at? In, in other words, I've well, had again, one one seems to have been fairly benign. One seems to have been fairly, you know, maybe maybe admitted um, they said something. There was a vague reference in the Kansas case to this um, Kawasaki like syndrome which can get serious, but in most cases, 
whether it's younger kids or slightly or, or, or college age kids, it tends to be self-limited and is typically treated with anti-inflammatories and, and resolves relatively quickly. It's scary, though. It's scary, though, and it can have complications. So it sounded like this kid in, 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 in Kansas um, was doing OK, according to the governor. The, the other one at San Diego State, I, I, I have not been able to see any any follow up. But the but the bottom line is, Dan, and, and I don't. I, you know, because because I was I won't, I won't I won't say whom, but but someone you know from conservative circles wrote to me and said, well, um, uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And yeah, yeah, I get those sort of platitudinous things, but in this environment where there's a hyper awareness, a ghoulish hyper awareness yes. about what's going on, you know, these cases are going to filter out into the media. I'm sorry. You know, maybe that seems like a nihilistic fallback, but that's that's the darn truth. No, you know? no, so exactly. And, and some of them and some of them, it downright was confirmed on the dashboard or in local media articles that there were not there were no hospitalizations. Right. I mean, there I've, were a few. There were a few. Exactly. You know, no, you're exactly right. And, my, and it was very clear. Defense, you're exactly right. And, and that's the point. If it's that widespread. So this is my question to you about the state of play and the the trajectory of the virus. A lot of people are trying to figure out uh, an ER director um, in one of the major hospitals here in Baltimore put out a video recently and he was noting really what many of us have observed not being in an ER, but just from the data and, and, the, and what we're seeing in the news, is that there has been a sea change the last three months. You know, in March and April, they had uh, a pretty significant number of people coming into the ERs. They weren't overrun, but they had a lot of people that maybe had trouble breathing or, or some serious pneumonia type of symptom, uh, presumably from SARS-CoV-2. And they were dealing with that, and they had the ICU admissions, and they had some deaths. Whereas the last number of months, what they're saying is they're barely seeing anyone in the hospital. Um, and we're certainly seeing this in CDC data where the uh, CLI, the, the COVID-like illness percentage of ED visits, is it's, it's down to like 1.6%, um, which is the lowest it's been since the beginning of this, um, lower than a typical flu season. Again, at least right now, not before, but right now. So in your mind, and then and then he says again, even the ones that do come in, they don't make it to the to the ICU. They're really often subclinical. It's just people are scared, so maybe they have them under observation. So the point is, is this due in your mind to it attacking a less vulnerable population? Is this a due to attenuation where the virus is kind of transforming into a, a coronavirus cold, a mixture of both, something else. What's your theory on where this is coming from and headed? Right. So so there there actually has been some modeling on this hypothesis that um, that maybe there is some attenuation uh, of, of, of the virus. Um, you know, it's very theoretical, but but the con the conclusion uh, of these investigators, and I think they, one of them at least was a CDC investigator, um, was that perhaps there's something to that to that hypothesis. So that's that's one possibility. Um, although typically coronaviruses have been a little more you know stable, um, but but yeah, I think I think. Um, the other thing is that uh, I would hope, and I, I think it's true, we've gotten better about protecting the vulnerable, and certainly they understand who they are now with all the media, you know, uh, information that's been put out there, including by the president, and 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 he's been emphasizing that a lot since the the um, press conferences have been reinstated. Um, so so I think those people are more are more cautious. Um, 
But then I think there is this large issue of of herd immunity, which we've which we've talked about before. Um, whether whether um, whether it's it's uh, it, it's it's a result of of this of this uh, mass exposure, which uh, you know ob- obviously that's contributing to some of it, um, but but also our our appreciation for those that that were resistant bef- before the virus arrived, and and you see again in the traditional assessment of herd immunity, you, you're you're really supposed to consider all those factors. In other words, pre-existing resistance to infection acquired resistance to infection and resistance to infection, whether it's pre-existing or acquired, which doesn't necessarily mean you'll never get infected, but means that if you get infected, um, you won't either um, wind up with 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 a clinically obvious uh, infection or if it's a clinically obvious infection, it'll be a mild (laughs) obvious infection or across the spectrum. If it's if it's a significant infection, it won't be a lethal infection or an infection that requires hospitalization and, and, and major management. So I think all those things have shifted in favor of better outcomes. And we had this I think it looks very striking. And again, there's a lot more research that needs to be done. We, we had this sunbelt uptick, which really looks like the old um, influenza curves uh, from, from Hope Simpson, who was the great influenza uh, researcher um, in, the, in the 20th century, um, where the lower latitude tends to get a later, uh, a later uh, uh, uptick. Um, and, but now I can tell you, Dan, I would urge all your <laughs> listeners to do this. It's a very simple site. You know, we all have our misgivings about the CDC, but the CDC Monday through Friday uh, publishes national mortality based on another f- subject we've discussed before, the only valid way to assess it, which is by date of death, and it's per week. And you can see in the national data now, as, as thank goodness, the Sunbelt uptick has resolved itself. We're, pe- we're well past the peak, I would say now, including pe- well past the peak in mortality, um, that, 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 that's now reflected in the national data. So you saw this rise again, after a steady fall from April, say, into certainly uh, late June, you, you, you began to see an uptick again. It, it peaked, I would say, by the end of July um, and is now, you know, then plateaued. So it stayed at a fairly high level, certainly relative to the, to the downtick, you know, that, that went all the way down from April to, to into well into June. Um, but it's, it's, it's been coming down very much in sync with the decline in the Sunbelt states. So the overall picture is one where, you know, there was this very aggressive spike uh, in, in the spring, you know, le- levels in, in, in April um, that on, on the base. And, and those data are kind of locked in now. You know, the, the CDC data is constantly being updated, but I'm looking at it right now so I can have the numbers. So, so we're, we're talking about a peak um, on April on the week of ending April 18th of over 17,000 deaths, just a, just a little over 17,000 deaths. And that's kind of locked in. I mean, they're doing more adjudications, but that's basically locked in. And then it drops all the way down uh, in, in, in June um, to, to about, uh, 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 about 5,000, about 5,000 deaths. Uh, and then it starts to go up again in, in July uh, and it picks up uh, and I think the max is going to come come somewhere near about 8,000 deaths, then levels off. And now, again, following the date of death reporting, it really looks like, again, mirroring the, the, the sunbelt, 
it it starts to drop certainly below a, 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 a thousand deaths a day and maybe down to like 900 deaths a day uh, by about um, by about August 15th. Uh, that might settle in somewhere between, you know, 950 or so. But, you know, it, it, they're unfortunately too slow with the adjudication. But but the other issue is that the 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 date of report recording, which we've talked about, is still ginning up hysteria because it's it's really behind the 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 decline now now one of the issues with data report in its in its defense and I, I think it's invalid I would never use it but you know when you want something quick and dirty and then you take the seven day average and, and yada 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 all that stuff if if anything when 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 the uh, epidemic or the phase of the epidemic is on the is on the rise it'll underestimate but the big problem with it and the problem with 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 those that would and the advantage to those that want to gin up hysteria is that it's well it's obvious that it it misses the decline and it perpetuates the state of of hyper awareness of hysteria beyond where we are and and again i i think the numbers may change slightly but the curve really looks like the the up the, the sunbelt uptick we're past it it's reflected now in the national numbers and you know we're declining, and if CDC gets a little, you know, a little more up to date, I think we'll see. Certainly, a- as of now, when we actually get the numbers, as of now, after the fact, that that it may have declined precipitously uh, in 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 September. So that that's the point. Next point I wanted to make to head into this Jermaine Stevens story, which is that again. To to most people, they're not seeing hospitalizations anywhere. They're not. They're seeing tons of cases, tons of positive tests, tons of mandated quarantines of people. But nobody is seeing what they saw in March and April, which even that was certainly exaggerated in a lot of places. But nobody is seeing that. But yet we still do see nobody. A, a nobody. Certain, yeah. But yet, but yet we still are seeing. Uh, reduced but somewhat significant reporting of deaths. And all along, we knew there was a degree of inflation, people who died with COVID but not of COVID. But now that it really seems to have attenuated or however you want to look view that, um, it really makes a lot of this very suspect, given that we know that anyone who tests positive and thereafter dies for whatever reason is tagged as a COVID death. About 55,000 people die every week. Um, so a certain number of them will will be test will test positive. We now know that the tests are super sensitive with the 40 CT cycles. We now know that overwhelmingly, if not now more than ever before, few people get seriously ill from and even elderly people now. Um, so you really have to question a lot of these deaths. How do we know um, that they even died from it before we get to. Uh, the younger end, I just want to get to the older end of the spectrum because I think you have this problem both with the very young and the very old. So I had a listener to the show that emailed me about um, a mother that died and the day before she died, she had stage four cancer and she had trouble breathing. Well, what do you know? I mean, the day before a cancer patient dies, they had trouble breathing and they tested her for COVID, which I still don't understand what the purpose was. And she actually tested negative. So this wasn't even the you know notional positive issue. This was the opposite problem. Um, but nonetheless, while she wasn't breathing, so that was kind of a COVID symptom, they tagged that as a COVID death. 
So well, this, that's egregious. Yeah, yeah that, and this clearly is happening. Yeah. But this is also happening at the younger end. We see the panic porn, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 15-year-old dies, and it's not impossible, but we always wonder, hey, is there more to this story? So obviously there's a big debate over the colleges, particularly college football. There's this college football player, they say, promising career, dropped dead at the age of 21. Could you tell us what you know and don't know about that story? Yeah, it's a very it's a very tragic story. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to add one quick thing about the Sun Belt uptick, though, before I get to Jermaine Stevens, whose father, by the way, was a was a first round draft choice of the Pittsburgh Steelers, an offensive lineman. Jermaine was a defensive lineman. Uh, Jermaine Jr. Um, it, we have also have to. It's very important. People tend to gloss over it. The Sun Belt had its uptick, and it was significant. But 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 they stayed open the whole time. And they they managed through the the worst of their uh, having to deal with with the coronavirus as as open societies. Uh, there were restrictions, things that, that you and I you know think may not have been terribly helpful. But but it, but they did not go into draconian lockdowns, and they weathered the storm in a way where they actually did much better than the Northeast overall, um, especially given the size of some of these populations in Texas and Florida and even Arizona. Um, but but um, so I think that's an important thing to always keep in mind. But getting back to Jermaine Stevens. So so Jermaine Stevens last week, it was breathlessly reported, including by Jake Tapper, uh, at least on social media. And then, of course, all the all the sports media that this um, that this defensive lineman for a small college in, in, in Pennsylvania, it's actually called the University of California in Pennsylvania, had, quote, died from the complications of coronavirus. And I was, you know, it was very tragic. And I saw videos about the kid. He was a good kid. He was incredibly athletic. He, he was obese. I, I mean, but, you know, defensive linemen can be. But he was extraordinarily athletic for, for a really big kid. He was like 6'3", 365 listed. I mean, he really looked like he was closer to 400 pounds. But very, very athletic kid. Very, very, very decent kid. Very social kid. And um, it, it, it was just striking to me that I couldn't track down where this information about having you know, died from complications. In, in, in other words, and it turns out. In other words, Andy, I just want to frame this for people. Typically, what you would see is like he start, he had trouble breathing or was taken to the hospital, ICU. Maybe he's put on a respirator certain things. And it's just kind of like he just died out of thin air. Well, but but literally. So this is very interesting, sort of sort of uh, uh, online forensics. Um, so literally, I, I, I wanted to find out the, the verbiage that was being used in these stories, whether it was USA Today or whether it was Sports Illustrated or CBS Sports that, quote, died from the complications of coronavirus. And they kept saying it was on, oddly, on the, his former high school's Facebook page, which is in the same, same area of, of, of Pennsylvania as, as this small college that he went to. Um, and it turned out that, that the Facebook page from the high school did not have that language in it in its current form last week. Um, and, and then just by accident, I clicked on some buttons on the Facebook page near where the posting was, and I had no idea that, the, that you could look at previously edited versions. And there was that language about you know, complications of coronavirus, um, and it, it, it had been removed in the updated obituary on the Facebook page. And I just found that very odd. So I posted the two sides aside and I, on my Twitter account and just said, well, what's going on? This was September 9th. So later in the day, and he allegedly died on the 8th, later in the day, um, 
that whole posting came down with a new one from the high school Facebook uh, the page where Jermaine had attended. And it, it was it was like a mea culpa that, that, that we can't confirm the cause of death or anything like that. And so basically, that's where things stayed. And, and you know, some of the news outlets, uh, particularly the sports ones, you know, mentioned that again. And then and then lo and behold, there was an interview, I believe, yesterday on CBS News that the parents, uh, Jermaine Stevens Sr. and his mother gave. And they're they're claiming, uh, although the CBS News report of the interview is actually very straightforward, it says there's still no confirmation, basically, of the actual cause of death. The parents are now saying that, well, he tested positive and, quote, had a blood clot to the heart or something like that. And so that's where it's left. And and the sports news media are up back again, drumming it up as a as a coronavirus death. Um, I and the other odd oddity, which I'll share with you, is I did my own investigation um, because one of the early reports from last week mentioned that one a a, a, a good sports uh, reporter who had not attributed his death to coronavirus, because after all, the college, by the way obituary omitted any mention the facebook from the high school had been retracted and this guy just said well look we don't know the cause of death but he had contacted the allegheny medical uh medical examiner's office and got no response so i was like well that's very curious so i went on the allegheny medical uh allegheny county medical examiner's um web and you can actually request information if you're pressed so i listed my blog site and you know ask see what you want so certain information obviously is 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 concealed but if you know the name of the of the person and you can enter in the information you want which mainly relates to cause of death um within two hours of filing that online request i got this strange response which just makes it even more bizarre that they, they don't even have Jermaine Stevens Jr. listed in their database as a case under examination. Because uh, I expected they would just say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's under investigation. There's no determination. I get something pro forma yeah, like so that. So you're saying that I indicates that, he, that an autopsy was likely not performed? Well, unless, again, because it's so murky, the, Dan, the only thing I could think of is, is well, all these events seem to be taking the place in, in the catchment area for the Allegheny, uh, you know, medical, medical examiner's office. Unless, again, we don't have, we're not privy to details. Maybe he died in a different part of the state. I, I, you know, who knows? And, and this is what's so bizarre about it. And when you write to these sports reporters and say, well, did you, did you interview the family um, and find out if he was admitted for a COVID pneumonia and had he been in the hospital for a while? Because the other, the other thing in the early news reports is that he died out of the hospital. So it's, it's just very strange. It's very strange. And the CBS interview is useless. The CBS interview, I'm sorry, it was pure panic porn. They had no interest in any of these basic questions about whether he'd been sick and hospitalized and had a pneumonia and had it disevolved. And, and all they wanted to know was, you know, the, the, the parents' concerns about college football going on this year, period. That's all it was about. So so in that vein, and, and we're running out of time, I had a couple more other things on the list, but we'll have to save them. I want to get to one other thing. A similar dynamic we're seeing, that, that the media is terrified of any transparency, asking basic questions. They just assume the worst panic porn and run with it. Um, so I started off the show talking about the, the whole mask business and how uh, Facebook is fact-checking me with a fact-check that never addressed my article, addressed someone else's post. And they, they have no inquisitive mind 
to even figure out the veracity of what public officials are saying, how they could say the most absurd things, go from A to Z, and they just take it face value. So let me give you an amazing example. You probably haven't seen this yet. It just came out as we're on the air. CDC Director Redfield is testifying before the Senate uh, Appropriations Committee. And he had the following quote. And now, you know better than anyone what CDC said all the way through May about the efficacy of universal civilian mask wearing. But he said the following. These face masks are the important, powerful public health tool we have. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. And mind you, while he's doing this, he's like crumpling up his mask, emphatically taking it off the table, touching both the inside and outside. And presumably that's the mask he's going to put back on when he exits the place. What do you say to something like that? This is the CDC director. First, first of all, I think I think what you you should capture what you just said, and um, and 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 fill in your audio for 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 that part of his testimony as he's fiddling with the mask. I mean, because it just it just really you've captured the absurdity of the situation. Yes, of course, you know from Fauci uh, himself to as we've discussed the 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 in-house journal of the CDC, emerging infectious diseases, um, as recently as May. They published a meta-analysis, a pooled analysis of the randomized controlled trial data on masking, in this case for influenza. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very germane to, to the question of masking for COVID-19. And individually, 10 studies that were reviewed showed no effect. So what, what they did is, is pool the data from these studies to see if maybe there was a small effect, some trends that had been missed that now would be apparent when they pool the data together. And, and it's called making uh, your, 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 your findings, uh, um, having more statistical power to, to, to find a, a smaller a trend. And, the, and in aggregate, they, they were still negative. There's been a subsequent uh, analysis published in the, in the Premier Journal of Internal Medicine, the Annals of Internal Medicine, which added a couple of studies uh, randomized control trials of masking versus non-masking and still found no effect. And, 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 and that was published, I believe, in June. Um, and again, you have to look at what of, of these individual randomized control trials. They're, they're, they're as well designed as they're going to be. They're interesting you know, scenarios, uh, interesting uh, applications, Hajj pilgrims, um, household contacts, uh, students on campuses. So in all these walks of life, um, none of none of the masking versus non-masking interventions uh, assignment groups um, have been able to show a difference in documented infections, and so and we're still awaiting the the the, the trial that's listed in at clinicaltrials.gov uh, um, as having a randomized control trial that that's uh, allegedly completed by now in Denmark uh, to see whether they're masking experience in a randomized controlled trial uh, afforded any benefit uh, that hasn't come out so so there's an absence of 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 gold standard controlled trial evidence to support any of these masking mandates uh, for the general public these are all all the studies that I that I've mentioned um, were all done 
in non-medical settings? And that's the question uh, for the public. And the observational data, the non-randomized data, they just, you know, observe this group, observe that group, you know, how did they do, observe a comparison group, you know, make one. Um, they're all over, it's like a tennis match. They're all over the place. You can find observational data to support masking. You can find observational data to show that it makes absolutely no difference. And, and frankly, when it comes to therapeutics and a mask is a therapeutic, it's a simple one, but it's still a therapeutic intervention. Um, the way we assess these things is by RCT. So what, what the director said, um, I think he's grasped me at straws. I, I think he probably knows better, um, you know, to give him but, the benefit but, but, of the doubt. He, but, uh, but, but wait it's a minute. Still damaging. It's but still he went damaging. out of his way. He went, see, here's what I can't get at. What, what I can understand is, let's say they're like, you know, I don't really think it helps. And then now, now they're like, well, maybe maybe it helps a little bit. Let's try to maybe institute it some places. They're doubling down. But, but doubling what I don't understand is how do you go from it absolutely doesn't help to this is a religion? I think this is better than a vaccine. He literally said that um, right. universal well, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, and the media has no journalistic curiosity like like even if you have no dog in the fight like hey like how do you get that far the physics and biology don't really change over the last few months i mean but but dan you know you you know you're you're a highly informed and intelligent part of the media alex berenson is um for heaven's sake you know you're head and shoulders above you know the 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 really dullard class that that occupies our journalists now when you even when you get beyond their their blinding ideology um they're just not the brightest bulbs on the tree they're completely uninformed they they probably you know it's almost partially in their defense is that is that they they're not even aware of of what a randomized controlled trial is of 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 how many have been done to specifically address this question of that level of evidence versus observational evidence they're they're utterly clueless so they're so they're and they and they want and they want to hear this narrative because you know Joe Joe Biden who by the way there's a great political story about him Joe Biden is is terrified coronavirus even his staff is a little like it's like too much for them how terrified he is so he's a perfect vehicle for all this to be wearing the masks and and everything and and he fits right into their narrative and and now they they, they you know he's a useful idiot for so many things but he's genuinely terrified of, of coronavirus so you know it, it all it, it gets back to that as well now it's truly unbelievable how there's just no curiosity to find out about Jermaine Stevens, all these panic porn stories, all these premises that affect our lives more than ever before, indefinitely, without debate, without transparency. We just take them and run with them, even when prima facie, they just don't make sense or they're serious questions. There's a lot more for you guys to see. Again, you have to follow him at Andrew Bostom on Twitter. Uh, that Twitter account is worth uh, worth essays. It's just truly uh, great information there. Thanks for joining us as always, folks. If you have questions for Dr. Bostom, uh, let me know in the coming days. Email me, dharwitz at blazemia.com. I got to jump on Steve Days' show. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.